damn more than alcoholic. And how about that, Albert? Nate. Um, thank you, Nate. It's not e it's not easy to uh, talk at these meetings, especially in this this format that we're in here with the Zoom format. Uh, you know, I often find myself uh, I'm alone at home. You know, and I'm one of those guys that uh, went to a meeting every day, probably for uh, the first 15 years of my recovery. Uh, so that human contact is missing from my you know, from my daily living, from, from my program. And uh, so that's really, really uh, inspirational, man. I know you're an introvert and uh, you don't like to talk much, but uh, I thought that was great. You know, um, I'm born and raised in Venice, California. I'm the proud son of uh, two parents who shot dope for the first 15 years of my life. And that has absolutely nothing to do with the reason why I'm talking to you right now. See, you know, it was always me. I, when I when I realized that I had never seen my mother and father in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous raising their hands, saying what they were, I realized that they weren't what I thought they were all those years. It was what I perceived them to be. See, I found out what I suffer from, and I suffer from an illness. And, you know, it, it's an illness of a, a threefold nature, the mind, the body, and the spirit. If you had told me that when I got here, I'd say you're crazy. You know, when I got here, you guys were talking about Santa Claus and you were talking about how Santa Claus was going to save your life. And God, 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 a lot of God talk, a whole lot of God talk. And I come from a place of, uh, you know, uh, smoking my first joint when I was nine years old, yellow zigzags, commercial weed, you sifted it, you know, and uh, man, I had a career with the drinking and using, man. I had a career and it was short-lived. It was short-lived. You know, I got to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 23 years old and that was done, man. I was really done. I had had these experiences with, with alcohol, which led me to believe there was really something wrong with me. See, I thought I was crazy before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Because I could drink more than you. Man, I mean, big dudes, man. I, you know, I hung around with big football players like Nate, and I'd drink them under the table, and I'd be thinking, man, these guys is weak. They ready to go home. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Don't they want to drink some more? What's these dudes is weak. But but I didn't understand this thing that we have, this, uh, this physical allergy to alcohol, that once I started drinking, I wasn't going to stop. You know, there used to be these places in Venice where they would have, like, Tuesday night, dollar night dollar shots of tequila, you know, Wednesday night dollar shots. <laughs> man, I would go to all these places, man, and just drink and drink and drink. And I thought I was having fun, man. I thought I was having fun. But, uh, you know, when I look back upon my, my drinking and my using career, man, I, I drank in middle school. I drank in high school. And, uh, man type of guy that would go when lunchtime would come for high school. In high school, we would go to the liquor store and get 40 ounces of beer, or 32 ounces of, of, of Coke 45. And uh, we'd drink and then we'd go back to school like, like nothing, like nothing. And uh, mm, when I think about how, how crazy that is for a person like me, uh, man. Mm -hmm. 
So I had these experiences, man, these what we what we call these first step experiences with becoming powerless over drugs and alcohol. Right. And, you know, I had been to my first rehab when I was 19, didn't believe anything you guys said. You know, I thought you guys were crazy. You guys were talking about a mental obsession coupled with a physical allergy. They didn't talk like that where I came from. You know, I, I, I you know, I wouldn't be drinking with Albert and, and look over at Albert and say, hey, did your physical allergy kick in? Have you been thinking about drinking all day? <laughs> you know, um, and what I realized is that this thing, this 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 mental obsession that I have, I, I've had this mental obsession probably uh, since I was about 11 or 12 years old. See, I'm one of those guys that they talk about in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, man. I love the effect produced by alcohol. I love how it makes me feel. I love what it does for me. And I love what it does to me. And uh, so I thought. So I thought because I didn't know any other way of life but to think about it and do it. Think about it and do it. Think about it and do it. That's what makes me an alcoholic, right? I can't stop when I want to stop. I just can't. And I have this thing, man, and it talks about it in the book. It says that that I'm an alcoholic, dash, my life is unmanageable. You see, my biggest problem is that I've been trying to manage my life my whole life. The only time when my life was manageable was my, when my grandmother was raising me and she had breakfast ready. She had the clothes washed and she'd send me off to school with a bag lunch. See, my life was manageable when my grandmother was managing. And see, when we're talking about an unmanageable life, what we're talking about here is what's going on inside of me. We're not talking about like I can't pay my bills or uh, I wreck my car. We're not talking about anything outside of me. See, the unmanageable life is where the disease is. It's inside of me. Right? It's inside of me. That's why step two is in the position that it's in where, you know, step two says, come to believe that a power greater than me can restore me to sanity. And what it's telling a person like me is that I have been the power and the authority for my life, my whole life. I have been the power for my whole life. And lack of power is my dilemma in relationship to alcohol. And I can't stop drinking. Lack of power is my dilemma, and I am the power. <laughs> oh, man. Mm, I couldn't punch my way out of a brown paper bag. Because I thought I knew, man. I thought I knew. You know, uh, I thought I knew when I was 19, you know, in rehab, 28 days in rehab. I'm pretty sure when in that rehab, they said, go to 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor. Man, I'd get out of rehab and the second day I'd be drunk. What is that? What is that about? 28 days of having fun, going to meetings, eating good, learning about this illness. And the second day I'm drunk. Went to rehab again when I was 20 years old, turned 21. 28 days, I'm pretty sure they said, when you get out of here, go to 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor, you know, third or fourth day I'm drunk. And see, what I, what I didn't recognize then is what I recognize now is that this obsession of the mind, this thing, this obsession, this thought that overrides all other thoughts, it's in me. It is me. See, I damaged myself 
from, from drinking and using drugs. I damaged the way that I think. I warped my mind. And the book talks about it. I warped my mind into such an obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence can remove it from me. See, only an act of providence can determine to me, to a person like me, that, that, that could only show a person like me that I'm powerless over alcohol. I won't admit that I'm powerless over alcohol. Why would I do that? That's the sign of weakness. Man, but alcohol beat me. It had me. It had me. And what happened is uh, that second rehab I was in, some people stayed sober. And man, these people called me for two years. Who does that? And I would be like, man, they messing up my drinking. They would come by and talk to me, buy me a beer, take me to meetings, buy me a beer after the meeting. <laughs> I'd be like, man, you guys are members of Alcoholics Anonymous. You're not supposed to do this. And they would simply say to me, man, you're going to be all right, Marlon. You're going to be all right. But I got a suggestion for you. Maybe you should start going back to these meetings with me or go back into rehab. See, I'm a guy, I'm a guy that's born in this little city in Venice, man. It's, it's, it's the only ghetto in this city in Venice, man. It's called the Oakwood area, right? See, I come from poverty. And, and so in my mind, when I was getting sober, I was always living like in Century City. I would always have a nice girlfriend, a nice car. See, I based everything on the outside. I based everything on what I could see with my lying eyes. And that's just not the truth. And what happened to me is that uh, during the, the riots of 92, man, it was it was a, probably the, the most terrible time in my life. Uh, you know, we were all breaking and stuff, doing what we do. And I broke into a liquor store and I stole a case of El Presidente Brandy. But I'm not an alcoholic. But the first thing I see is a case of El Presidente Brandy. Now, I don't even drink brandy. I steal this brandy. I'm drinking this brandy for days, a whole case, 12 bottles, probably about two or three days, right? And I got some of those other party favors too. And I'll never forget going home to this girl, man. She was my girlfriend and I walked in the house. I got this brandy. I got this white stuff all on my nose, right? And I look at her and I say, look, I'm getting better. I'm only snorting now. <laughs> she looked at me with this look of disgust, just utter disgust. I, I, to this day, I remember what she looks like when she looked, when I told her that, right? See, because, you know, I smoked rocks. So I thought because I was snorting and drinking that I was getting better. What a delusion. <laughs> See, I suffer from delusions and illusions, right? I think that I could think my way out of this thing. So what happened for me, man, I went back to another rehab. I stayed in that rehab for 28 days, and, and I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened in that 28 days. I know when I got out of that rehab after that 28 days, I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. And then in between that time, uh, somewhere around there, I got a sponsor. And I'm one of those guys, I'm like, Nathan, I'm afraid to ask you to sponsor me. But my sponsor had seen me when I was 19. He had seen me when I was 20. And he seen me come back to the same meeting on a Saturday night at 7.30. And he said, hey, man, I see you didn't get out that van tonight. I said, nah, I'm, you know, going to 90 meetings in 90 days. He said, well, my name is Anderson. You see this spot right here I'm standing in? You meet me in this spot after this meeting right here. So after the meeting, I met him in the spot. And he said, yeah, you know, uh, 
I want to tell you something. I'm your sponsor, and you're going to 1130 meeting with me tonight. I said, 1130? I said, man, I sleep at 1130. He said, no, nah, you don't. He said, you're not going to be sleeping tonight at, at, at 1130. So we went to dinner. I met a whole bunch of people, man. And these people were amazing, man. These people had five and six and seven and eight years. And after uh, we had dinner, it was probably about 15 or 20 of us. They left a tip at the restaurant. Man, it was like a $50 tip. And I said, man, these people are crazy. I'm leaving all that money. That waitress didn't do that much work. You see, I didn't know how selfish and self-centered I was. I didn't even realize how young I was. I didn't know that I hadn't lived life at all, man. I didn't know that I hadn't lived life at all. All I had had in my life were these experiences of being powerless over alcohol. And my sponsor, he pointed those out to me as we went through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. He told me step one and two was all about reflection, all about looking back. All about looking back and seeing how powerless I am. And he had me explain to him situations in which I, I lost control. And I began to see how powerless I was over alcohol. I began to see that I couldn't be the power and authority for my life anymore. And all this time we're going through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we, we finally get to this point to where, you know, he has me reading page 60 to 63 every day. And he has me <clears throat> putting my name in that page, in those pages, and uh, I realized how selfish and self-centered I am. I realized that I need a power in my life. I don't know if I need a God at this point. I don't know if I need God like you guys, but I know I need something. I know I need a power. See, because the, before I got to the God concept, it was always the, the members, the sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous. I got sober on the shoulder of giants, man, and these guys just let me be new. They let me make my mistakes being new and stand sober, and they would laugh at me, man. And they weren't a group of suggestive type of guys. If coffee needed to be made at the meeting when I was in my first 90 days, I was making coffee. Wasn't no doubt about it. You got three or four guys that got all this time telling you, oh, Marlon to make the coffee. Marlon to take that commitment. But see, what they were doing for me at that point in time in my recovery, in which I didn't know, was that they were saving my life. They knew how to stay sober. I didn't. I only thought I knew how to stay sober. And at the same time, they were helping me implement these, these steps into my life, this way of life, this way of living. They were showing me about this way of living. They, these guys wore their recovery like a loose garment, man. They don't talk. They didn't talk about the big book like I talk about. it. They lived it. And uh, man, on one day, my sponsor, man, he grabbed my hands. And we. this was way before Starbucks and all these fancy coffee shops. He grabbed my hand and said, get on your knees, man. We're in front of this coffee shop in Culver City on Venice and Clarington. We're doing the third step prayer. People are going in and out the door. And I'm like, man, this is some weird shit here. <laughs> I hope this shit worked. It was crazy. God, I offer myself to thee. I'll never forget that prayer. I did that prayer and I got the type of sponsor that's hands-on, man. He's a God, man. He's a step man. And uh, wasn't no going home and doing no inventory. He sat there with me, man, for two hours as I wrote, wrote out my inventory. Uh, I'm resentful at my mother. Why? Because she shot dope for the first 15 years of my life. And what does it affect in me? Well, it affects my self-esteem. What do you mean it affects your self-esteem? <laughs> you know, I mean, he would get down to the nitty gritty, man, of these things. He wouldn't let me do these check off four steps, man. He sat there with me 
through my whole inventory. He's all in. See, when I sponsor cats, I'm all in, man. I got a guy on here, Albert. Albert's uh, 11 years sober. Nate's two years sober. I'm all in with these guys, man. They having a baby, I'm having a baby. They getting married, I'm getting married. <laughs> these guys are my family because my sponsor was my family, you know. Man, so I do this inventory, man, and uh, hmm. it was expressed to me, explained to me that the three main ways that an alcoholic walks around the face of, of the earth is that he's resentful, he's in fear, and his sexual conduct is way out of whack. And uh, I look at these things. These are the inside job. This is what's going on inside of me, and I have no idea. And uh, I get all these things down on paper, man, and I sit down with my sponsor, man, and I begin to share this this thing that we call a fist step. And, uh, I don't know if you've ever done anything like this, sat across from another human being. And uh, he was going, me too, me too. And he, he was sharing some deep stuff, man. And it allowed me to be honest and get, get honest about some stuff that I was just not gonna say to him that I didn't write down in inventory. See, I didn't feel alone anymore as I was sharing these things. See, I thought I was all alone. I'm so selfish and self-centered. I thought I was the only one that had been, that had been molested as a child. You see, I think, I think I'm by myself. And that's what this disease is. It's, it's, it's a disease of the mind, right? It's a mind-powering disease that tells me something and I believe it. My sponsor would often say, man, if you, if you, got, you don't have it on camcorder, it's not true. And, um, Man, I'm sharing this fifth step with him. And, you know, I get to the resentment with my mom. And, and uh, you know, I've been working on this. We've been, me and him, we've been working on this, man. It's like, what is my part in this? What is my part in it? And he simply looks at me and he says, Marla, your part in this is that you've been having a bad thought about your mother ever since you were about seven or eight years old. And it's killing you. See, there's a spiritual axiom that I can't afford to have a bad thought about anybody because it hurts me. You see, I never knew that. I never knew that if I thought badly about you, that it hurt me because I don't know about a spiritual life. I hear you guys talking about this is a spiritual program. This is a spiritual program. This is a spiritual program. What we have is a daily brief contingent upon the maintenance of our spiritual condition. I hear all these things in meetings as I'm going through this inventory, but I don't know what you mean because I don't notice. I think you got to go to church on Easter. You got to put on your Sunday best to get spiritual because <laughs> that's what we did, in, you know, in my neighborhood and in, in these black communities, you know, you know, grandma dress you up on Sunday, Easter Sunday, go to church. The best part of Easter though is, is the Easter ham and the, in the eating, not the church. But I, I had no idea about a spiritual life, right? Um, yeah, so I was thinking badly about my mother all those years, man. And, uh, you know, I do this fifth step, man. He sends me home and he said, I want you to look at the first five steps, man. And see if you left anything out. And if you have, I want you to call me right away. He said, I didn't too much. I don't want you worrying about step six. Those are things that are defective in you. That's God's job. These people talking about they working on they they working on they defects, working on they defects. That's like me working on another drink. I'm powerless. 
See, I'm powerless over, over, over alcohol. I'm powerless over my defects. See, I got to be entirely ready to give these things up to this power. And I'm still calling it a power. I'm still not with the God idea or the God, you know, like people are saying, God, God, God. And step seven, see, I told you my sponsor, he's a, he's a step man. He's a, he's a God man. He's a principled man. He would teach me how to do these steps in action. He keeps a toothpick in his mouth. And I'll never forget, he said, we on step seven, right? I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to show you how simple step seven is. He took the toothpick out and he threw it on the ground. He said, are you going to pick that toothpick up? I said, nah, man, that's been in your mouth. He said, step seven. Shit you can do, motherfucker, that you just won't do. I said, oh, wow. So, you know, uh, I go, I make the list. <laughs> and, uh, and I told you, he's an all-in type of guy, man. He gave me these cards, and I put my mother on the front, and we would act out the, the amends process. And uh, I went to my mother, and I made amends. Uh, it was a Sunday. She was in the kitchen cooking some greens, frying some chicken listen to Al Green, smoking a joint, you know, and I said, Bob, I need you to sit down so, you know, that I don't drink again. She said, some of that AA shit, huh? I said, yeah, mom, some of that AA shit. And she said, uh, okay, she sat down and I said, mom, I need you to forgive me for the way I've thought about you my whole life. She broke down like a baby. Me and my mom just sitting there crying. And, uh, what I realized is that this design for living that works. Uh, see, my mother had been looking for a way out, man. She had been looking for a way to tell her youngest child, forgive me for the way I was raised. I raised you for the things I did when you were a child. But see, it was Alcoholics Anonymous on that day. On that day, me amending that relationship with my mom. It was Alcoholics Anonymous that gave me a mother. See, I don't know about you and what you're going to get here from Alcoholics Anonymous. But I could never repay the people of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step process, and this power that I call God today for placing my mother in my life that day. See, because I began to have this overwhelming feeling of something, and I didn't call it God that day. But I began to realize that this power, this power was deep down within me, right? Deep down within every man, woman, and child is the fundamental ideal of God. See, therein lies the great reality. And I've been living in illusions and delusions my whole life. But I touched reality that day in making amends to my mom. I got a glimpse of what it's like to be real and uh, to have a mom. And on that day, I really believe that is the day that I, be, I began to believe in this power. On that day, that is the day that my relationship with this power really unfolded because I had been going through this process. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, right? And I had been listening to you guys talk about this power and how miraculous this power was. But I still didn't believe you until my mom was offered back to me in my life in consciousness, she had always been there in a physical form, but in consciousness. See, on that day, my mother called me by the name she had given me at birth. She called me Marlon. My whole life, they called me Papa. I've been a man child since I was a little kid. Papa, Papa, Papa. She called me Marlon. And I'll never forget that. The name she had given me at birth. Hmm. So I knew there was something through this 12-step process. 
I knew that this thing worked and it worked well. And I began to make all my amends, right? First, all the, the amends to the people in my family. And then I started to make, you know, uh, financial amends to people. So I know amends can be completed. And I began to walk a free man. Now, I'm here to tell you, I wasn't even nine months sober yet. Start sponsoring guys probably when I was about seven months. And people were like, you can't sponsor. You can't sponsor. My sponsor would say, man, fuck them. And he would show me a story in the big book. <laughs> like, you know, building them cats for sponsoring, man, at like 90 days, bro. <laughs> He's like, man, this thing is meant to work and it's meant to work now. It's in black and white. It's in print. So to my new friends, it's a spiritual program. And nobody can judge your spirituality, right? Nobody. You know, step 10 is a step that I grow in effectiveness and understanding, man. I'm not one of those guys that, that uh, I'm not a maintain type of guy. I'm not trying to maintain anything. I'm trying to grow in effectiveness and understanding, right? Effectiveness of, of how I sponsor cats, of how I treat people in the world. And an understanding of this power. Every day I begin to understand this power that I call God more and more and more and more. And step 11 is in that position just for that. Salt through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God. What a, what a powerful, powerful step 11 is. I mean, especially during this pandemic, it's been a beautiful thing for a person like me. Because I've had more time to pray. I've had more time to be quiet. And, and I've been sharing this story when I speak on Zoom. I'm not a getting on my knees type of praying guy, but I work at night and uh, I was on my way to work one night and something said, get on your knees and pray before you leave. Man, I've been praying on my knees since April of last year. And what it's done, it's, it's humbled me. It's helped me to realize that See, the God of my grandmother, like that white Jesus. I didn't tell a white Jesus story, but <laughs> I was a little kid, man, and my grandmother had this white Jesus on her mirror for years. And I said, Grandma, why you got that white man on your mirror? I was like, seven, eight. And she said, simply, that's Jesus, baby. Now, here I am, 20-something years sober, and I have this revelation about this Jesus thing. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian or anything like that. But it was the simplicity, it was my great grandmother, the simplicity in her spiritual life at that point in time in her life. See, you can't get any more simpler than that and more spiritual than that. That's just Jesus, baby. Those thoughts just ring so true with me today, right? She was trying to implement a principle in my life. See, a principle is the truth. And see God be the ultimate principle that we practice here. The ultimate principle. So having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I carry this message. And I'm just here to tell my new friends that this message is not my message. This program is not my program. This is the message of Alcoholics Anonymous and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. My program is drinking and using I know what my program is. It's clear to me. But see, I was introduced to this program. This is all new to me. I tell all the cats I sponsor, all we're doing is practicing. 
The only step we do perfectly is step one. Everything else is a practice. And I've had revelation after revelation after revelation, man. And you could not tell me. When I came here when I was 23 years old, that would be sitting here looking at a computer, talking to you about God, right? And this wholehearted search that I've made for this power in my life. And that is all in everything that I care about today is this connection with this power. Because I know it's real. I know he will provide. And I know if you knew, you're probably thinking, man, it's some weird shit. Because I've been thinking that too. This God talk, this God, this mystery God. But this God is true and living. And it's not a mystery. It's just, it's just deep within me. The power flows through me. I am not the power, man. And that's what I've learned here in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I've had what they call a spiritual awakening. I've had spiritual experiences. But the spiritual awakening is so important. It's a shift in my consciousness, man. Where when I'm in worry, I go right to faith. Right? And I pray and I ask God, can you help me? Be with me. Be with me right now. See, I'm not talking about no Bible. I don't pine for no Bible. I'm talking about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Right? I'm talking about uh, no false dependencies. Right? No false dependencies. What I'm talking about here is a person like me has found what we alcoholics find here, a quiet place and a bright sunshine. So uh, that's really all I have, man. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, Laura and Pez, thank you guys for inviting me out tonight. I really enjoyed this meeting. Thank you.